Hi there! Welcome to the Healing Unscripted podcast, where we talk about all of the complicated, beautiful, infuriating aspects of healing. I'm Megan, and I am so glad you're here. Hello, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome to a very special episode of the Healing Unscripted podcast. I am so excited for this episode today because it is our very first interview episode. I am so excited to introduce you all to Coraline Hazelwood. She is an incredible person, and this interview with her was one of the best conversations I've had in a really long time. Today, we're going to be talking all about codependency and what that looks like in real life and what it takes to heal. So I am so excited for you guys to hear this interview. So without any further ado, let's jump on into it. Hi, Coraline. I am so excited to have you on the show today. How are you doing? I'm so good. How are you? I am also good. I am super excited to have you on to talk a little bit about codependency. Uh, I think it's an issue that is widely misunderstood and a lot of people deal with. And I think we're going to shed a lot of light on it today. I hope so. It's heavy work. So buckle in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're used to the heavy work here. I think healing is um, not for the light of heart. Not for the light of heart, and it also never ends. So never ends. I feel like the sooner you can just be okay with the waves of healing as they come, the faster you, you come to, you know, work through it and kind of get to the other side, so to speak. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask um, about your mental health journey in just a minute here. But first, uh, let us know who you are, what you do, um, and where we can find you online. Yeah, so you can find me uh, mostly on Instagram right now, Coraline Hazelwood. Uh, Who I am and what I do, I mean, how do you, you know, (laughs) I like, I'm such a talker, but essentially I help overwhelmed coaches and course creators understand and master the tech side of scaling their business. So building landing pages, building websites, creating really powerful offers is what I do in the world. And prior to that, I ran a website design, funnel design agency, um, which I scaled to six figures in about a year. So that was really cool. I've been in this space for five years and I've been working in digital media for the last 15 years, (laughs) which is crazy considering I'm going to be 30 this year. Yay. No birthdays are always (laughs) something to celebrate. I agree. It's just that, that hump here, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that hump here. So yeah, that's me. I, I, you know, I'm really passionate about helping women turn their story and own what they've been through and whether that's mental health or building a business into a way to create money and and provide and um, change the future for, you know, their families and themselves. I think that's incredible. That is like such a service you're doing the world. Um, So yeah, thank you for that. (laughs) It's my pleasure. There's like, I feel like not everyone doesn't know, like when you look back on your life, like all of the dots really do connect Mm -hmm. together to your purpose. I think it was Steve Jobs who said that. And it's just so unbelievably true. And I feel like I'm just a dot connector and just like, I oh, I love that connect the dots, both in tech and in their lives. And it's just, it's a blessing to be able to do the work that we do. It really is. That is terrific. I, I love that you're a dot connector. <laughs> a dot connector. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so help us connect some of the dots. Tell us a little bit about your mental health journey. What, what has been going on for you healing wise in this endless journey of healing? 
Oh gosh. I mean, how far back do you want to go? I feel like my mental health journey really started with like being bullied in school Mm -hmm. and just thinking that there was nothing that I could do about it and internalizing all of that, which really became the internal set of thoughts that I really did allow to kind of run my life. And it probably wasn't until, oh, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago where I really started coming to the understanding that I had the power to change that, that like mental health was something that I had to do. (laughs) I was like codependency, blaming everybody around me and, oh, they made me feel this way and they made me feel that way. And so I went through this process of um, really starting to take ownership of my thoughts and the way that I was feeling. You know, I started working out more consistently. I cleaned up my diet a little bit more. Um, It really just, and it's never ending. I had a really terrible day yesterday. (laughs) Um, I have one probably once a week and, you know, my mental health journey now really truly fluctuates with my cycle more than anything I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, But the process of like, becoming conscious to my thoughts, I guess is the right way to put it. Becoming aware of my thoughts was really what helped me kind of overcome some of the mental health things that I was going through. Uh, Anxiety was really huge for me. I still get anxiety attacks to this day. They're just fewer and further between, which I think is really the only thing that we can hope for when we have something like social anxiety, which a lot of people find strange because I am a very external person. I'm a very, (laughs) I'm an extra, I like to talk. But I like to talk in small, confined groups of people. And so the anxiety of even just being present in my life, being present in my business, um, talking to other people and not replaying that conversation in your head oh <laughs> a million God. times <laughs> um, <laughs> is something that I'm, you know, that I'm still working on. But it took me a long time to realize that that wasn't something I had to experience, that like my mental health was mm. something that. I could actively change and shift and that, um, you know, replaying those conversations, that rabbit hole was a choice. Okay. Yeah. That I was kind of, um, unconsciously making and also learning and understanding that a lot of the anxiety that I had, a lot of the bouts of depression that I had weren't actually mine, but codependency, my mother's. And what I saw her go through and her cycle of depression and her cycle of anxiety and how I then, um, that kind of was like planted as a seed in me when I was a really young kid and kind of just ran on autopilot in the back end of my brain and in my body and in my subconscious and really started to dictate my life. Um, Does that answer your question? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about how codependency has featured in your life? I know you talked some about anxiety and depression and how those were linked to codependency, but um, yeah, what does codependency look like for you? Yeah, I mean, codependency in my life really showed up, um, this is even hard to just say out loud, but like by being the victim, like that's what codependency really gave to me. I grew up in a household where there wasn't responsibility. There was no responsibility taken for 
the way that we were feeling. There was no responsibility taken for the things that we were supposed to do or the life that we were given. And it really started to seep into every area of my life where I always felt like I was the victim of something. I always felt like, oh, poor me. My parents didn't get to pay for me to go to college or oh my God, my taxes are super high. This is somebody else's fault. And so I was always feeling like the world was happening around me. I felt like a victim of my reality. I felt like a victim of my childhood. I felt like a victim of my upbringing, of being bullied. It really was just this like codependency created this immense lack of self-worth and this immense lack of my ability to choose something different, like my ability to actually say, wait, this isn't how this is supposed to feel or to take ownership of the things that I did create. It's like Uh, it robbed you of your agency. Yeah. In every area of my life uh, for a very long time, I probably wasn't until two or three years ago where I really started doing codependency work. And I started doing codependency work because of my relationships with people Mm -hmm. like, you know, partners that I had, um, you know, people always are like, Oh, I always attract the same man, (laughs) (laughs) the same guy. And that was me. And I realized probably after like the third long-term relationship that ended in the exact same pattern that I was always blaming them that I was always saying, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do this and you didn't take responsibility here. And there comes a moment in time where you experience the same thing so often that you have to go shit. Oh, can I swear? Yes. Yes. It's fine. I'll mark it. I was like, oh shit. Like I'm the constant here. Mm. Like wherever I go, no matter what relationship I seem to get in, it's the same problem. So can I actually blame them or is there something in me that is reflecting and creating this in the world? And so it affected my relationships immensely for a really, really long time where I was just shape-shifting, like Mm -hmm. being a chameleon you know? Oh yeah. I love hunting. I love hunting. I live in the city, (laughs) you know, bought a house in the country, like picked up my life, totally changed it. And I found myself doing this all the time where I would like get in a relationship with people and I would want to be accepted so bad that I would chameleon. I'd be like, yeah, I love you uh, FC or whatever that fighting thing is that people do. And I love (laughs) hockey. It's like my favorite, right? And so you get ingrained into those things, but codependency makes you feel like that acceptance from other people only comes when you're making them happy. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what made my family happy was when I was doing what they wanted me to do when I was doing the things that they thought were fun, right? I remember like being a kid and sitting on the couch and I'd always sit with my back to the TV and read books. And my mom would always say to me, why don't you turn around and watch this movie with us? Like, why don't, 
So I, then I stopped sitting on the couch and I'd go up to my room and I'd read up there and it would be the same thing, right? She'd come upstairs and come, come downstairs and watch TV with us. And so I learned that, you know, I was going to get in crap if I wasn't doing what everyone else wanted me to do. Like it wasn't okay to do the things that I wanted to do and be the person that I wanted to be. I had to be someone else to protect myself from that crapshoot yeah. <laughs> judgment that would come my way if I chose different. Right. And yeah. 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 That's, I relate to a lot. <laughs> this idea that who you are doesn't always uh, feel safe around other people. And so you adopt um, a different personality almost, and yeah. it can lead to, like you said, sort of the codependency of I have to make this other person happy. It's my job to make this other person happy instead of it's my job to be me. Yeah. 110%. And I think most of, I don't know about most people, but I work with a lot of coaches and a lot of, you know, people who work in the mindset space. And the majority of the time, those women who come into the space to be coaches and to guide people to better, which is why I was drawn to the coaching industry was because being of service and being needed by your clients fills that void in a totally different way. But the trick is that, and I kind of, I don't know, this is a little bit woo-woo, but I kind of believe in like soul paths and like the sure, journey yeah. of your soul. And the, you know, the trick to the coaching industry or to, you know, really standing out in a clouded space like that is that you have to be yourself mm -hmm. in order to attract the people that you want. And so it's almost like a lot of people in this space, and this is my truth, um, have gone through that period of losing who they are or hiding who they are or being in codependent type relationships where you're always the chameleon. And then we end up in this space to actually learn how to be ourselves and just please us mm -hmm. um, and allow that to be enough for other people. And it's... Um, now I look back and I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> dots connecting. I get it, right? Like I totally, it makes sense. But when I was in it, it was a totally different story. And I'm still in it some days. Like I was in it this weekend. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That actually leads to another question I was wondering about. So um, have you had any major setbacks when it comes to your codependency healing? And um, how have you dealt with that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've had a lot of them. Um, one of my first, I mean, it's, I'm not proud of this, but one of my first major relationships that I was ever in or my second long-term relationship, I was in it for four years and I really started kind of waking up to my codependent patterns and started to try and put boundaries in place and to try and say, no, I don't want to watch hockey. I'm actually going to do this. And as I'm sure you know, when you put boundaries in place, it annoys people <laughs> when there wasn't boundaries there before. Um, and so that relationship ended in a really, you know, volatile way, which I thought was going to give me the space that I needed to heal, um, sure. the space that I needed to like do that codependent work. But instead, what, what actually ended up happening is I actually became really codependent on drugs and alcohol <laughs> yeah. and ended up, you know, attracting an even more toxic you know, relationship into my life. And so that went totally backwards. And I was in that space for, um, 
I was probably in that space for a solid six to eight months where I, I went the way further back than I'd ever been. I think with codependency where I was allowing someone to, I've never shared this before, like tell me what to eat and how to work out and when to go to bed and what to do with my life and what jobs to apply for. And I allowed myself to go that far back because I, I was so unbelievably afraid of being alone, of like figuring out who I was, um, that it just seemed easier to me to let other people make the decisions for me because I had been living my life, allowing other people to make decisions for me in an attempt to make them happy. Um, which only ever leaves you way more broken than you ever thought you were. <laughs> um, yeah. And I would, <clears throat> I would argue too, that it, it doesn't leave you broken. It just, it was your survival mechanism. You were floating. You felt like you had no ground beneath you and you knew this would give you solid ground. It was going to be rock bottom, but it was going to be solid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had also, I lost my dad to cancer. Uh, exactly a year prior to that and had no idea how to deal with that. My parents separated a few months before my dad passed away and I had no idea how to deal with that. And so this human being coming into my life and making all of these decisions for me when life is just unbearable in general, um, it worked, you know, for a period of time, it, it really, it really worked. But when I allowed myself to be in that space for a really long time, I mean, I was in that place for, you know, six or eight months. What happened after that was magical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I allowed myself to come out of it. It was like, okay, I springboarded into a completely different dimension where the work still existed, but I, I knew like, I'm never going back there. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, we're never doing that again, Corlin. We're not, you know, we're not playing over there anymore. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I have setbacks even now. I'm in a really healthy relationship, and sometimes it's even just challenging um, to say no. I need space today, and to have that be an okay thing to say without thinking, are they going to leave me? Absolutely. Or, you know, thinking sometimes it's the smallest things that come up with codependency that you don't think about. Like, uh, for example, my partner sleeps in late. He's mm -hmm. just a late sleeper. I'm an early bird. I like to get up. And I remember when we first started dating, I had a really hard time with the fact that we were on completely different schedules because I thought we needed to be like attached at the hip. <laughs> you know, we got to be one in one. And so I'd be at his house and I'd be up super early and he'd be sleeping for another six hours. And I just want to go for a walk. I just want to be like, okay, I'm going to take his keys and I'm going to go for a walk. And I remember feeling like if he wakes up and I'm not here, is he going to be mad? Like all of these things that that's codependency. And we don't even think about it. This like desire to, and it's unconscious a lot of the times to please them in a way where we are abandoning ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an aspect of like wanting so desperately to please them to the point where we abandon ourselves, but there's also this need to irritate them with our absence. Like you were saying with the walk thing, because that you could have been reading my mind. I've done that so many times um, <laughs> where it's yeah. like, I'm going to go for a walk and they're going to wake up and I'm not going to be here. 
And part of you is like, oh no, are they going to be mad? And another part of you is like, good, they should have been up forever ago so that we could go on a walk together. And yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. why aren't they doing this with me? Yeah. Right. I learned though, like one of the things that came up even just this year, and I mean, we're only in April. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, okay, I'm trying to do these new health goals and trying to get 10,000 steps a day. Like I need to get up in the morning and go for a walk. And I was blaming him <laughs> when I wouldn't do it on the weekend. That's codependency, right? When you're blaming the reason why you can't do something on somebody else, that's very, very much linked with codependency. And it's not, um, it's, it's, it's really about more of like a fear of abandonment, I think, which is at the deep level of codependency is this fear of being abandoned, um, of being left alone again. And it's, it never ends. You know, I think we said that at the beginning, this work never ends. I know codependency shows up in my life every day, even in my business, every single day. I love that you point that out, that it shows up in your business because I absolutely noticed that as well. Um, <laughs> I noticed I have sort of what I would categorize as like a fearful avoidant attachment. So I'm very, very desperate for attention and love. Uh, but also once I get it, I panic and run away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I noticed that constantly. I actually notice it more in my business than I do in my relationship because I've been in the same relationship for um, a very long time at this point, I think more than a decade. So we're pretty comfy. Um, <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> and, but the business is new. And so there's that need for the new excitement and all that stuff, but also like the intense fear of it. So I was just wondering is, can you tell me a little bit about how codependency shows up in your business? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> The first way that it shows up is like being really deeply attached to the result mm. of my clients. So being really deeply attached to them showing up and doing the work, being really deeply attached to, I used to really deeply attach myself to their failures. You know, if this didn't work, I didn't work. I failed. If this didn't work for them, I'm not good at what I do. And that was like the first way that it really started to show up. The second way was really, <laughs> um, I mean, this comes down to like content creation and stuff, but like we all do it, especially when we're starting our businesses, we hide, yeah. we hide our, like mo our deepest truths, the things that are polarizing, the things that are, um, things that you shouldn't say online. You shouldn't have an opinion on that. <laughs> and we hide those things, not wanting to ruffle feathers, not wanting to upset people, not wanting to lose a follower or, you know, get an email unsubscribe. But in reality, those are the very things that set us apart, right? And kind of goes back to that idea of if you want to make it in this space, you have to carve out a space for yourself. And you can only do that by owning really deeply who you are. And so I had this massive problem of trying to show up and like just being very surface level out of sheer fear that people would leave me before they ever even came into my business or came into my space. Not really understanding that if they left, they weren't for me and I was opening up more space for other people. Um, the other way that I see this come is in my like group offers where there are calls every week where my students can kind of jump in. And I actually did a really cool thing this week where I started to shift 
um, the way that I was thinking about this, but, and the result changed, which is a <laughs> point, but um, I would have students who like wouldn't show up. And I hear this a lot of people who are like launching courses and programs and, you know, they're like, oh, so-and-so didn't show up to this. And there's this fear there of like, oh, is the program not good enough? Or is my offer not good enough? Or, you know, maybe this about me, or maybe this, maybe they're changing their mind and they're going to ask for a refund. You get all these like fear-based things that come in. And I decided um, a few weeks ago that like, we weren't going to play in that energy anymore. That instead if people aren't showing up, I'm loving and trusting and knowing that it's actually because I gave them everything they needed to do the work on their own. And they're actually just out there crushing it. And so we kind of, <laughs> which is now the result that I'm getting, right? <laughs> um, but it's just, it's like flipping the switch. It's like taking, I always, you know, go back to this question of, of blame, you know, am I really truly, am I blaming someone else or am I fully taking ownership? And if I've taken ownership from my side of the fence, which is hosting the call, having the content in there, then I've done all that I can. And now I get to hand it over to them in the universe to, you know, meet me halfway. But a lot of us are trying to like strangle and stronghold our people through like a very specific process <laughs> in our businesses. Um, and this is essentially saying and mirroring, at least this has been my truth, um, that we're not trusting of them to make the decisions that are right for them with the knowledge that we give them. And that's simply because there's a mistrust in ourselves to make the decisions that we need to make for ourselves. Because oftentimes when we're people pleasing and experiencing codependency, we don't trust ourselves. Because when we did trust ourselves, it got us in trouble. So-and-so was angry, so-and-so left. You know, we have these negative associations with trusting ourselves, And so we project that onto our clients in a very real way. Absolutely. Okay. I'm like processing everything you said. <laughs> All of that makes so much sense. <laughs> and I'm like applying it to romantic relationships, friendships, business, all of it applies. And I think codependency really, like you said, comes back to that fear of abandonment and yeah. fear of abandonment really comes back to a lack of self-worth. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fear, the way that I think about it is the fear. I truly believe that everyone is reflecting back to me. So if someone triggers me, that's my work, right? So if they're out there with a million dollar mansion and I look at it on Instagram and I get triggered and want to run and hide and I get annoyed, I'm like, mm, that's because I probably want a million dollar mansion, <laughs> right? <laughs> like it has nothing to do with them. That's me. Their mansion didn't make me mad. My way that I thought about that mansion made me mad. But everybody truly is reflecting back to me what I need to learn, even in my business, even in my relationships. And so when we come back to this idea of trust, right? And me trying to stronghold a partner into doing something, let's just take my, pre my current partner who sleeps in really late. Mm -hmm. Me trying to force him to change to my schedule is actually me saying, I don't trust you to make the decisions that are right for you. Mm -hmm. And we do this everywhere. We're like, no, you should eat better. No, you should work out more no, maybe you should be this way. Why don't you tell me these things, which is all codependency because when codependency is healed and I don't ever expect mine to be healed, but when codependency is healed, we love people for who they are as they are and we don't need or want them to change, right? And so I love my partner with every ounce of my being, 
And I still find myself sometimes having to correct and say, he knows what he needs to do <laughs> for himself, <laughs> you know? And it's the same with our clients. It's the same with our parents. It's the same with children, right? Um, not that I have children, but I feel like my girlfriends who have children are like, no, they have to go to bed at this time. And I'm like, maybe he knows when he needs to go to bed. <laughs> That's going to change when I have kids. But, um, you know, codependency really deteriorates your trust in yourself. And so when you're seeing that in them, it's really an inner reflection to me of I'm doing something in my life that's telling myself, I don't trust you. And it's not really about them. I'm actually projecting my lack of trust in my own decisions onto someone else outside of me. And oftentimes that's the people closest to us. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of the reason we tend to project onto the people so close to us is, uh, there's this sense of like testing, like, well, you're close to me, but should I let you closer? Because what if I give you this test and you fail? Uh, and then it was proof. I never should have trusted you all along. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. I love when we create situations to prove that someone's not worth us. Well, it's, it, Um, we create a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like you said, with your business, like, oh, I changed the way I thought about it. And now that's the result I'm getting. And it works on the negative side too, unfortunately, like when we test our partners constantly to make sure they actually love us, it ends up driving them away. And then it feels like, see, they never loved me, but in reality it's, well, they don't love your codependency and that's fair. Exactly. Yeah. Which brings me to another question. So in the interest of speaking our truth, um, I know you were mentioning victim mindset earlier, and I have to be honest with you. I have an episode about this. I don't fully believe in victim mindset. (laughs) Um, Why not? I'm always open to learning. I think I grew up in an opposite environment from you. So instead of nobody taking responsibility for their actions, I think I saw nobody taking responsibility for their actions, but constantly preaching about taking responsibility for your actions. So I was hearing the word and I was expected to take responsibility, but I was seeing other people not taking responsibility. So the way I internalized it was, okay, so I'm responsible for me and I'm responsible for you because you're clearly not responsible for you. Um, And so the way this turned around in my head, like it was, not ideal um, in some ways. And I think I was accused of um, calling myself a victim a lot. And that was very shamey to me. And I found for me personally, the idea of victim mindset was just a manifestation of shame. And it served no other purpose than to shame me and make me feel bad about having self-compassion. And I do understand that there's a difference between self-compassion and uh, blaming others for your problems. Yeah. But to me, at least, victim mindset is just a way for others to shame us. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, I respect, I respect that, right? That's, um, it's your interpretation and that's how how it makes you feel. Right. And so it's true. It's true for you. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, when I heard the word victim mindset, it gave me permission. Mm, Okay. It 
it finally gave me permission to say, oh, I can choose differently, mm -hmm. right? It allowed me to look at my life and finally take responsibility for the areas that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of areas of my life where I was playing the poor me card. Sure. And I found that that left me with really, really low self-worth. More self-worth than feeling like that someone told me I was a victim, mm -hmm. right? So I felt worth, I felt like I was worth less when I was taking no responsibility. And when someone finally like gave me a word for it, because that was the word that came up when I, like, that was the very first thing I heard that allowed me to understand that I could choose different thoughts, that like my world that was around me was what I was actively choosing. And so it didn't, I think I, I think I probably felt ashamed of that for time. Like I felt, I feel like, um, the shame that I felt when I, when I realized that I could choose differently was very real. Mm -hmm. Right. I went through this period of like, oh my God, like I've been blaming these people and I've been cutting people off and I've been eating unhealthily on my own accord and, you know, spending my money in ways that don't align with my values on my own accord. Um, and the fact that I did that to myself, I did that, I was unaware. The fact that I was unaware that I had a different choice made me feel shameful. Mm -hmm. But not of like other people, more of myself. Like I was ashamed of me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I actually, I, I hear you when you say there's a lot of power in the word victim. And I think- yeah. That is part of why I have like such a strong feeling about victim mindset is because sometimes we are a victim and I don't think that should be a dirty word. Um, like I think sometimes we are victimized and it's silly to force ourselves to be like, oh, I'm a survivor when maybe that word doesn't feel right yet. Maybe the word victim is what feels correct. But I completely yeah. hear you when you say hearing about that mindset made you more aware of the choices you were making. And that is like such a powerful step when it comes to healing codependency, because so often we don't realize that that's what's going on because we do think it's other people. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when you're codependent, you're completely externally validated from my experience and like mm -hmm. what I've seen, right. Your validation is very externally driven and, um, I lived my life that way for a very long time. You know, I'm a Leo <laughs> on moon and rising and I love attention and I was always the center of it. And I always had, you know, the nicest, longest, blondest, biggest hair you could have. And I wanted to be <laughs> seen, you know, but I didn't want to be seen for me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be seen because if people see me, I was worthy. It was a totally it was all validated out here, right? If one person saw me and said something bad about me, this whole shell, this whole like facade that I had built of this like 
confidence like crumbled when I went home with anxiety and shame and guilt and low self-worth and low self-respect, right? And so I feel like whenever we're in this, a anybody who's grown up with codependence and I kind of feel like we all have <laughs> in, in some way, shape or form, I generally think this work could help everybody on the planet. Uh, like even if nothing we're saying today is resonating with people, you know, it shows up in the strangest ways, like the smallest things that you wouldn't even think of are that, but the most common thing that I see is this, this external validation and the, you know, the, the work that's been for me in healing codependency or even catching my codependency has been bringing that validation inside. So that the things going on outside of me don't affect me as much. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, that's like really hard. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds, but like, like we said at the beginning, healing is continual work. It is forever work. Yeah. It, you know, I had, I mean, especially if like you and I are building businesses on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're codependent you have these like lines of codependency that come through your life, one of the things that I see come up all the time is like, oh, I like, I don't want to see that. What are, what do people say? What if people say something bad about it? What if I get a hater? Right. What if I get that person who's not in the ring, who like comes onto my post and starts like talking shit about me that has codependency, mm -hmm. right? Like it shows up in such extreme ways. And if this is something that's been true for me, I realized that if I wanted to do this work, if I wanted to become the person that I wanted to be, I could not, I mean, look at what just happened to Rachel Hollis. Like I could not allow myself to be validated by what was out here mm -hmm. because the bigger you get, <laughs> the louder you get, the louder, yeah, the praise gets, but so does the judgment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, it was like, if I really want to do this work, I have to work through my codependency yes. I have to. because I can't base my worth and my value on what this collective community of internet strangers is saying about me. <laughs> I'll never please them all. Right. And so even just that act of like being afraid of the haters is a codependent stream, at least in my experience. Yeah, no, that completely makes sense to me. Um, so <laughs> I did want to ask a little bit about healing. So like what resources have you found useful? Do you have anything to recommend to listeners like podcasts, books, uh, therapies? <laughs> yeah. My big things that I do every morning is like a stereotypical visualization meditation. I usually just honestly randomly pick one on YouTube. That's kind of what I do. I'll randomly get Reiki. I find that, um, it's only because I have a client and I love her so much and she's so magical, but Reiki really helps me shift when I'm really stuck sometimes. So I will dabble in that. I also really love Lacey Phillips. She runs a business called To Be Magnetic. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Sounds but super familiar in the back of my head. Yeah, she she's such a cool person. She runs a neuroscience approach to manifestation. Okay. And so she talks with a lot of doctors and research and I'm very analytical like that. I definitely like more of like those masculine approaches to life, but she uses that to teach subconscious reprogramming, reprogramming childhood beliefs um, and her work in terms of 
healing codependency and reprogramming my childhood is the only work I've done because it's worked for me. So I use that quite a bit. Um, and then the only other thing that I do are flower remedies, <laughs> which it's kind of a woo-woo thing, but Alexis Smart, she has these incredible flower remedies and they're designed to open up space, change the way that your energy is flowing um, in different areas of your life and in your body. And I always change my life after I try one. So I don't do them very often. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. And we will link to all of those in the show notes, everybody. So if you're listening and one of those sounded uh, good to you, um, check the show notes. And then codependency no more. Right. Okay. That's the book, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's two. There's um, codependency no more by Melody Beatty. Melody Beatty, Melody Beatty, one of the two. But there's also a 12 step guide to healing codependency. And that is a hundred times better than codependency no more because it's very, very action oriented. And it took me years to get through it. Years, mm -hmm. 12 steps took me years, <laughs> but it's a really, really incredible resource um, to have. I would recommend doing it with a friend. Yeah it's heavy work. Yeah. So how do you find yourself balancing codependency with, um, like interdependency, like healthy dependency? Hmm. Like you were mentioning, Oh, do this work with a friend. But I think for some people who struggle with codependency, they might think, isn't that more codependency, but I know that it's not, I just, how would you put that in your own words? Yeah. Um, I only go outside of myself now to people who have the life that I want mm -hmm. or who have the specific area of life that I want. <laughs> so like my girlfriend who is, um, her name is Chantal and I love her to bits. She's been doing the codependency work with me because she's done it before. Mm -hmm. And so she's been able to kind of shed some lights, just shine a mirror back to me um, with regards to, you know, trains of thoughts that I'm having and things that are kind of coming up. But for me, I kind of set the boundary of like, if I'm asking them to create a solution for me, I'm entering codependency. So if I'm going out to somebody and saying to them, Hey, can you, you know, can you do this work for me? Or can you justify me? Can you justify this? Then I'm dipping into my codependency. Whereas now I kind of go for just like a open space, someone to hear me when I'm doing this work. I'm not asking for them to fix it. I'm just saying, this is coming up for me. Can you hold space and not judge me in the process of sharing the deepest depths of my soul? And if they can do that without trying to fix me, then I will allow that boundary to kind of open. Um, that is like such a beautiful way to describe the difference between like healthy, healthy reliance on others versus codependence and that like, wow. <laughs> okay. I have to process that, but that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really just about realizing, I think for me, like, why am I going to this person? Mm -hmm. You know, just, just like, what is my intention when I, you know, approach this person to support me or when I go to this person for advice, what am I really looking for? And if I'm looking for anything that is anything other than a safe space, 
or a piece of advice that might get me to my next level, then I don't need, I shouldn't be going. I have the answers within myself. Mm-hmm. They're already there. I'm just not allowing myself to see them. Um, that's taken a really long time and I definitely don't do it all that well, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being so incredibly real with us today. Like, I know talking about codependency is really, really hard because like you mentioned earlier, it can come with a certain level of shame and shame really wants us to stay silent. And just by like speaking up and letting people hear your story today, you've done, I think hopefully yourself a great service, but also everyone listening, such a wonderful service as well. Yeah, I hope so too. Those feelings of that feeling of shame that comes, that comes with codependency, shame in who you are, shame in what you've done, shame in where you're going, shame of where you want to go. That only comes like that feeling only goes away when we accept it or when we like let it out of the darkness, you know, cause I, it's been my experience with shame that shame surfaces when I am denying myself. Exactly. You know, whether that's a job I had or something I said to that guy 10 years ago or that experience I had at that bar that I, I want to forget forever. You know, the longer that I push those away, the more shame I create within myself about who I am. Mm-hmm. And shame only ever hurts us. Shame isn't hurting my mom right? Shame's not hurting my partner. It's just hurting me. And I ran this really cool program. It was a shadow work program. Ooh. <laughs> and yeah, it was one of the most intense programs that I have ever run in my entire life. But we essentially created an eight week container that was truly just like a shame confessional for women. <laughs> and the only thing that they were allowed to do was show up and share their story. And we weren't giving advice. We weren't telling them how to fix it. It was just like a come here, out it. If you've been through it before, raise your hand. If you felt that way before, raise your hand. And the shift that happened in those people just by allowing themselves to be seen and nobody telling them they were wrong and nobody trying to fix them mm-hmm. was unlike anything I've ever witnessed before in my life. Like there's nothing wrong with us. There's, there's nothing wrong with radical you. statement. It, it shouldn't be, but it, it can feel like a radical statement, but I think you're right. Yeah, no, we're, there's like, it was a massive learning curve for me to realize that I wasn't broken. And that I wasn't like a misfit toy and someone didn't have to come along and save me and give me a trust fund or like a bank account so I could live the life that I wanted. (laughs) Prince Charming, didn't need a Prince Charming. Um, And that, you know, I really, I really wasn't broken. Like there was no parts of me that actually needed to be fixed. I just needed to love those parts of me. Um, Yeah. And that is an incredible segue into our meditation, which we are going to end the episode on. So as always, thank you guys so, so, so much for listening. Um, if you enjoyed hearing all of the incredible wisdom that Coraline has passed on today, make sure you go follow her on Instagram, uh, check out her website and everything. Um, and we are going to hop on into the guided meditation. So feel free to close your eyes, put your hand on your heart, take a nice deep breath in through the nose. 
and out through the mouth. Needing other people is not a sin. Needing comfort, attention, and validation is not a sin. Needing all of that a little too much is not a sin. You are not a problem. You are a person, a person with needs that went unmet for too long and something in your brain snapped. And now that need feels insatiable. Now you feel the longing like a hole in your chest. You feel like a bucket full of holes, one that will never be properly full of love, no matter how much of it you get. But again, this is not sin and you are not a problem. The bucket is the problem. The holes are the problem. The fact that you went so long with unmet needs that you learned maladaptive ways to make up for it is the problem. And none of that reflects who you are as a person. So often codependency is seen as a character flaw, a personality defect, when in reality it is survival. You survived and I am so thankful that you did. Now you are an imperfectly perfect human being. You have things to work on because we all do, but you are no worse than someone without codependency issues. You are not fatally flawed. You are just humanly flawed. We have a responsibility to provide for our needs in the healthiest way possible. And the truth is, at some point, codependency was the healthiest option for you. But now you have other options. Now you have the responsibility to continue growing. That responsibility can feel heavy. But the truth is, it's also an opportunity, an opportunity to become even more yourself than you were before, to grow through your pain and emerge into the sunshine of your true self, your petals radiant and dazzling. Peace be with you. <laughs>